This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, coming at the uh, coming up at the top of hour two, we'll talk to Gary Galley. Get on the Vegas Golden Knights Winnipeg Jets page. Double OT on the weekend, man. You got to hand it to Winnipeg. Just whether it's the Josh Morrissey injury, the Nick Ehlers situation. This is a team that is just scrapping. Um, but joining me now, Craig Simpson from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Game three on Saturday was uh, kind of what we expected between these two teams, but normally we would see a different result. Uh, Simmer, first of all, thanks so much for doing this. And second of all, how much did you look at that game and say, you know what, Tampa should have won that game and any other Maple Leaf team probably would have handed that game to Tampa. How did you see Saturday? I, I think it's very much like a, a, a playoff game where you have to ride the highs and lows. You have to ride where you get a push from your opposition and can you stay in a game as opposed to allowing them to break it open. I, I thought the second period, the Leafs just had their trouble. I mean, they iced the puck probably five out of you know, eight uh, plays in a row and got stuck with some matchups that were difficult, gave up one goal off of a face-off win after an icing. So, you know, those are the moments that you might say, yeah, in the past, maybe that would wilt them a little bit. And instead of being down by one or now you've got a tie game, you're going to be down by one or two. And so those are the little things along the journey. You know, you got to start believing in the guys yeah. next to you. As a line, you got to start to know when you need to get a push. I, I thought Sheldon's talk of when that was happening, you know, he felt the Matthews line at least was having some wins. And you hear me talk so often about you need to have shifts in a row in succession where you're starting to get some positive traction. And can you follow it up with another one? Can you follow it up and get a line trapped? And that's how you can score and change the momentum of the game. So in, in that respect, I'm sure what Sheldon would have been pleased about is they kept it a game when their game wasn't at their best. They got the saves that they needed. And then ultimately, you know, you never know when you got the goalie out, if you're going to be fortunate enough to get your chance to tie it, but pretty spectacular the way the game ended in regulation. And then of course, in the dying minutes ended in overtime too. Let me ask you a little bit more, drill down a little bit on, on Sheldon Keefe there, because, um, Personally, I was a little bit surprised to see him go after um, to go after the officials with the the Stamkos fighting situation, and you know this is their tactic, and the referees are getting lured into it. Like a- a- after a game where you got the significant benefit of the doubt on a call that may have been the difference between winning and losing. I, I'm not so sure, and listen, you've been behind the bench, you, you understand a lot more than I do, but I'm just not sure that that's the right time to be reminding people that, hey, we're, we're a victim here too, or maybe feel bad for us, or setting up something for the following game. Like normally after you win a game, you get the benefit of the doubt on a significant call that that many, and I count myself as one, say probably should have counted against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maybe that's not the best time to be to be shooting off the way that, that Sheldon Keefe did? No, I, I don't think it was a message to the officials at all. I, I think it was a, a kind of statement protecting Austin Matthews, quite frankly. I, I think it's, you know, anybody looking around, if you're a Tampa fan, you go, yeah, that's our captain who's standing up for his guy and you know, goes after Matthews in a nothing play. Matthews has got three sticks in his hand there. And I, in my opinion, anyways, it's, it's letting the narrative go that for John Cooper saying, I, I know you're going to get the calls. I know you're the two time champs. We haven't got past the first shot, all those little things that naturally might go against you. And I thought it was more good job of sticking up for your player. I mean, that's one that, how do you think, Matthews feels about that play. You know, he wasn't really involved, wasn't expecting to have to fight, didn't really get into the fight, but had to sit there for five minutes. It's not exactly a a powerful play for for Matthews in that one. And I thought it was a good thing saying, hey, that came out of nowhere. That that was something that uh, probably should have been called differently. And it's Tampa taking advantage of it. And I don't mind that at all. You know, I I think you, you have to change the way you act as a group 
to learn how to win in those tough scenarios. And I, I think everybody's getting a little bit of a yeah. feel of that and a lesson of that along the way. You know, one of the um, one of the things about this series is it's uh, it's pretty obvious that the Tampa would really like to. You know, take uh, take the Maple Leafs out behind the portables uh, on this one, and 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 take this thing into the alley, uh, and turn it into and turn it into a scrap because Tampa, as skilled as they are, it's also a nasty team. Um, if you're the Maple Leafs, like you've played, you've been behind the bench, like you've coached, how do you, if you're the Maple Leafs in this scenario? demonstrate that you're not going to be pushed around, you're not going to be bullied, but also not allow the game to get to the area where Tampa is most comfortable, and that is, again, out behind the portables at recess. Uh, you you got to drive the pace of the game up. you got to set the tone with what you're best at, and that's use your speed to the neutral zone to gain entries, use your puck possession game to... Give them some trouble. You know, I thought there was been stretches in game two anyways where all of a sudden you yeah, that. That's the Leafs game where they're able to have some offensive zone time when you're able to establish your cycle, get your forwards up high, move your D down low, get them chasing you as opposed to what you're saying, slowing you down. And I think you have to have that, mm-hmm. you know, you have nothing to prove together if you all believe in each other and know that I got your back if something happens. But I'm going to play hard. I'm going to initiate everything. I'm going to finish every check. And when the whistle goes, I'm getting back for the face-off. It's the, you know, we used to talk about kind of machine-like, where it's frustrating if you're trying to be the bully and nobody's paying any attention to you. If I go in and uh, defenses maybe not expecting Austin Matthews to run him through the board, you make a hard hit, you dig for the puck, the whistle goes, you get out of there, you get ready, and you got yourself ready for the face-off. That. That, to me, is where if you have the confidence in your group that you do stick up for each other, that you are able to play a hard-nosed, tough game, that, to me, is, is mm-hmm. sort of balancing out what you're saying Tampa might try to do. And I, I think that's the way you beat a team like that is keep them back on their heels and don't allow them or don't engage with them in any of the extracurricular stuff. Uh, Craig Simpson with me from the uh, NHL and Sports Center and Hockey Night in Canada. Um, what, you know, before you came on, Elliot and I were, were talking about you know some of the um, St. Louis Blues players from that Stanley Cup run, that Stanley Cup team in 2019, that are having huge impacts on their team. Alex Petrangelo has been outstanding for the Vegas Golden Knights. I think Ivan Barbashev, and it's not just the you know the the gaffe on the Dylan Sandberg pass, but he he's been really good uh, for Vegas as well. Vlad Tarasenko seems rejuvenated uh, with the New York Rangers, certainly in the playoffs as well, and. Ryan O'Reilly, I mean, that was probably Simmer his best game as a Toronto mm-hmm. Maple Leaf, whether it was, you know, the goal to tie it, uh, the huge face-off win in overtime as well. Uh, was that the best game you've seen Ryan O'Reilly play with the Maple Leafs? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great example of why you brought in somebody who can be, A, bring a different perspective. And I, I think if you've listened to Sheldon after games, he's talked a lot about uh, O'Reilly and his talk on the bench and when things aren't going well how positive and how you know you can lift the guys I, I'm a such a firm believer of that and I had probably the best two line mates you know in the league for that in Mark Messier and Glenn Anderson and the talk on the bench to the group it doesn't have to be a long one but it's one that guys the game is changing now now is our time we've got them on the ropes you know just little things like that that inspire you to jump over the boards with a different purpose and you know there's no question that uh, O'Reilly brings a lot of that and to have an execution of a couple of big plays you know he's been good on the draws obviously as we said but to be in that spot and get an opportunity with a new team and just your third playoff game I mean what a moment there to tie the game in that last minute he blocked the shot at the end when they had a chance to get the puck on net in the dying seconds of regulation. And then of course the win the draw and, you know, final game. So uh, one thing <laughs> I remember Charlie Huddy, a former St. Louis blue too, is saying, 
you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And he said, I got to play another five, six years in the league because I was a part of championship teams. This is Charlie Huddy saying. And think about that of Craig McTavish going to the Rangers, (laughs) guys at the end of their career. There is that value that is is unwritten. You, You can't teach a young guy who's never been in those situations how to react in those situations until you have to live through it. And having those guys with the experience, having those guys who say the right things, who show the way that you have to play is why they got guys like Ryan O'Reilly. And, uh, and it, it proved dividends there early in this series. Um, let, let me finish up, um, Simmer, with you, but a, a question about officiating. Um, does it seem to you that there is more grousing about officials this season than any other playoffs. Now, I generally say that it's kind of the same every year, like we always yeah. hear the grousing, specifically in the first round when there are 16 teams uh, 16 teams involved. Or, like, is, it, does it feel different this year, Simmer? Because it's coaches, no. it's, it's players, it's, it's fans, it's everybody. I kind of think that it's always been like this, but I'm always I reminded think, every year, like, oh, yeah, everyone complains about the officials right about now. I, I think everybody's memory is just too short. You know, you live in the now, and so you go, oh, it wasn't like this before. And I go, baloney. You know, I, I think every player <laughs> understands that within a game, within a game there's going to be two or three times that you're either going to hate a call against you or you're going to get the benefit of a call going. I, I think that's, that's a given in every playoff. The game is so fast. The game is hard to even you know, make the definitive calls in real time. And a great example of that was the, you know, Riley point uh, play. And in fast motion, it's like, man, the the end result and the carnage is really bad, but it's tough to really determine. My point on that one was once you saw that the shoulder was on the inside of the left shoulder of point, it was no longer uh, you're hitting on the numbers and exploding a guy in. But you look at that in real time. How can you make that call? And you're you're gonna someone's gonna be mad. But yeah. I don't think it's all that different. I think you said what a great weekend or Elliot did about great weekend of hockey. Well, when you just look at the speed of oh, that yeah. hockey and the way it's going, it's almost impossible. And the bottom line though is yes, and I know this is part of your world more than it's part of mine. But you don't you didn't have in the past, you know, 50 people who think they're experts chiming in on social media. And, you know, that's not what has to impact your, your reflection of what's going on in the game. I think as a player, you know, you're going to have a couple go for you. You know, you're going to have a couple go against you. And I think you have to keep that calmness and even keel knowing over the course of a series, you hope that it, it pans out and evens out for you and you can't let it destroy your confidence or you can't let it, get you distracted so that you you lose focus and maybe lose a series because of it. Excellent points. Um, Simmer, you're great. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. Very much look forward to Game 4 tonight between these these two teams. Uh, Who knows what storylines are going to come out of uh, this evening, but we will be tuned in. Craig, thanks, as always, for stopping by. All right, Jeff. Have a great day. There he is, Craig Simpson, NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, uh, along with Chris Cuthbert uh, handling the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, you know, one of the interesting things about that that's come out recently, because there is a lot of grousing about officials, and we talk about it more and more, and I'm still of the belief that this is, with all due respect to other sports, that this is the hardest game to officiate. This is the toughest sport for the officials to get calls right, to get them not just right, but consistently right. Like the lion's share of calls, like the overwhelming lion's share of calls, I think we can all be on the same page here, are made correctly. And I think Simmer brings up something interesting about social media that's um and it's a wonderful thing people have a place for their voice right the democratization of opinion here i get it and i understand it um and i think that's great um what it does though is it does sort of create a pile-on effect sometimes um i also do think and again going back to my previous point this game is at a place now where it's almost becoming too fast to officiate with four, uh, with two with two referees and two linesmen on the ice, 
that there is the privileged position of being up higher, and that's why we have video review. And I'm not so sure that we want more video review. I know the NHL has done and gone, you know, out the door and around the corner to make sure their games are over at a reasonable time, right? We're all, if you're from my vintage, you know, three-hour games, we're, hey, three-hour games, that's how long hockey takes. They've painstakingly got this thing down to, like, 2.30. I think the sweet spot might be, like, 2.20 or 2.25 for a game. Um, but right now, this game is so fast, so quick, and I was having a conversation with someone today. The one thing that we never really talk about when we discuss how difficult this game is to follow and difficult how difficult this game is to play. Someone I was talking to this morning was was talking to me about about goaltenders and how we don't have the conversation anymore at all about shrinking the equipment at all. That that conversation is gone now. And goalies, you know, they have had their pads shrunk, you know, years ago, but right now goaltending equipment is goaltending equipment and we've realized that right now it is no longer advantage goaltender, right now it is advantage shooter and everybody can really fire the puck and maybe that's why um goals uh seem to go up. But the point that I was coming back with is it's not that everybody can shoot the puck hard. Like, that's the obvious one. But what's sort of underneath the surface of all of this is we've never seen players pass the puck as quickly. The shot is one thing, and the pre-shot movement of the puck is a whole other thing. That, to me, is where the game has gotten real fast. Sure, the players skate faster than ever. That's an obvious one. The place where the game is so quick that we never discuss it. We talk about, you know, the composite sticks and the stick technology vis-a-vis how hard the shots are. But think for a second how quickly the puck moves now and how players are able to take laser beam passes with these sticks. We never talk about this with the sticks. We just talk about the shots. When you watch the games tonight, watch how quickly the puck moves side to side, back to the point, down low. This puck moves so fast. This game is getting harder and harder to A, play, and B, follow, and C, officiate. And I think like a lot of us, I think we're wondering at what point does it just become too hard to do it when you're on the ice for a bigger discussion. Gary Galley joins me in a couple of moments. Peter Baugh from The Athletic. Get on the Jets page and the Avs page, hour two. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Peter Baugh from The Athletic will get on the Colorado Avalanche page as they grab a 2-1 series lead. Beating the Kraken on on Saturday night. We'll see game four tonight. Climate Pledge Arena. Great atmosphere. Just a great atmosphere in Seattle. Great atmosphere uh, as well in Winnipeg over the weekend. Always love a good whiteout. Um, Gary Galley joins us now to talk about the Winnipeg Jets and the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Gary, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. So just reading uh, Ken Weeb's latest tweet, I believe it's a lower body issue for Jets netminder Dave Riddick. uh, Expecting Arvid Holm, he has been called up, to be the backup for Connor Hallibuck this evening for Game 4. So there's the the Josh Morrissey situation. Uh, That was tough, uh, getting uh, all tangled up with Zach Whitecloud and then getting hit by a shot. Um, And then there's the... And I'm not really sure how to read this Nick Ehlers situation. Part of me wants to say that it feels like Ehlers wants to play, but the team won't let him. I don't know how you feel about that one or if that's if that's accurate based on um, based on your information. But this is a team right now that, as much as we talk about this maybe being the last hurrah for this squad, keeps getting hurdles placed in front of it. The latest, now Dave Riddick. Yeah, I, I don't think... You know, Riddick really comes into play, obviously, if Connor Hellebuck was to get injured. Uh, certainly that would be a big factor. But until that happens, uh, you know, I kind of 
put that one kind of to the side. I think there are other things that are bubbling in yeah. there that are more concerning. I look at the loss of Josh Morrissey. You know, you know, I think the defense corps did a fantastic job in the last game in covering those minutes from a very early stage in the game. I thought all the D-men uh, for the Winnipeg Jets took on excessive minutes and handled them really well. Yeah, there was a bit of a bobble at the end where, you know, Sandberg should have went around the wall as opposed to through a player because obviously going through people in, in delicate areas, bad things can happen. But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, it, it, things like that do happen. And it's unfortunate it was a fortuitous bounce for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, but, you know, Ehlers is an interesting story because everyone keeps asking, you know, is he back in the lineup tonight? Is he back in the lineup tonight? And Rick Bonus kind of alludes to, in my mind, that I think Ehlers very much wants to play but we have to look after Ehlers. You know, every player wants to play, but we're just not sure that that you know we've got enough here to say, yeah, he's good to go. So I think they're being very careful with him, mm-hmm. thinking of Nick Ehlers first, which is very important. Yeah. Um, but I'm and it's really difficult, you know, because you know sometimes you don't know till the end of the playoffs how bad things are. Um, as far as the Winnipeg Jets are concerned, they need to take a step up a ladder at the right time. You know, and if you don't take that step up the ladder, you slip down two or three rungs. For the organization, the other night, that comeback win, if they were to win that in overtime, would have been a huge hurdle for that organization moving forward. Taking a huge step, coming back, winning a character game, from falling in behind, getting the win in overtime, and getting the lead over the Las Vegas Golden Knights, moving into game four with all kinds of energy behind you. Um, now, you, you have the comeback, you lose it in overtime. It's a severe kick, and then you know what? It, it is very hard to get over. I have been a part of it, and I go back to the Stanley Cup Finals against Edmonton when Klima scored. It was, yeah. it, was, it was heart-wrenching. As much as you say the right things and do the right things, and people say, well, you lose 9 nothing, you lose 5-4 in overtime or double overtime, it's the same thing. It's a loss. I don't believe that. I think that the losses in overtime that you – expel a way more energy and emotion into that you lose are harder to let go. Even though you may say you're letting them go, mm. it takes, uh, it takes a, a huge swath out of you. Um, you know, I, I know that yep. there are guys getting IVs after the game. Um, these guys, when you win, you just feel more adrenaline. You feel better about it. You heal a little faster. You get going a little bit better. When you lose, it's a little more of a hurdle to climb. So it'll be interesting to see, what Jets team comes out of the gate when the puck drops here uh, tonight? You know, I uh, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the situation with the the Winnipeg Jets defense because I was I was watching this and you know watching it all unfold and uh, one of my first thoughts is with Neil Pionk, who seen and he played like was it like 41-25 like an, an insane an insane number of minutes uh, for Neil Pionk and every time I'm watching him out there I'm saying to myself. He's trying to do the job of like three different defensemen. Like he's the guy that's trying to like plug as many holes as possible, try to keep this thing above water and and try to keep this thing this thing sailing. Do you have a thought on what we've seen now from Neil Pionk, who I I real honestly, Gary, I really felt for him on the weekend. I really did. Well, I I, I gotta tell you from personal experience, and, and it's it, it's it, it's incredible. In, in the series, early in the series against Hartford, back in 1990, Ray Bork goes down with a knee injury. So he doesn't play uh, for, I believe it's, it's games, I believe it's games three through six, maybe he doesn't play. Or maybe it's even two through six, mm-hmm. he doesn't play. Uh, and Mike Milbury comes to me and he goes, look, at, I, I don't want you to play like Ray Bork. I just want you to cover a bulk of his minutes. Uh, so I'm not asking you to go out and, and go over the top. I just want you to log yeah. some of the heavier minutes and, and try to handle that. And it was an incredible challenge. And I remember after two games of doing that, and that's not being shorthanded a defenseman down to five. We're still dressing six. And I'm covering a lot of yeah. extra minutes. You know, uh, I remember calling Ray at home, asking him when he was coming back. I was like, my body was, was just like felt awful. And, but you're going out there just trying to cover minutes. And, 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 um, and, and when Ray came back in game seven, 
you know, it was, it was incredible because it was extremely hard to do. It's something that your body has to, you have something that you have to train yourself to do over time. Like, uh, you know, later on in my career, when yeah. I got the Philly and I was playing large minutes, I got used to it. I, I trained and was ready for it. My body was, 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 you know, could do it, but in a, in a snap finger to go from, uh, an amount of minutes and add nine, 10 minutes to your number. That is a lot of minutes to add in a game and especially a game, in this series with the heightened amount of physicality and emotion that's going on, I tip my hat to Pion. I tip my hat to the five guys that played. I thought Dylan was uh, played a great game. Schmidt continued to push and get up ice and create chances. Like, you know, even right to Sandberg who only played maybe 21 or 22 minutes, who normally plays only 13 or 14. Yeah. Those are big minutes he played. And, and I felt bad for him. DeMello played fantastic. And it was nice to see DeMello go over to Sandberg after the uh, after the poor bounce and, oh, and yeah. right away say hey just, just let it go let it go but I know being in a position where you make a mistake that hurts your hockey club in a situation like that knowing how hard and how much they've given it's hard to let go. Can you um I'm, I'm curious Gary is it possible for you to personalize either something that happened to yourself or you saw in the playoffs with the teammate can you personalize from your experience the Nick Ehlers situation. I mean, it, it just must be endlessly frustrating as an athlete when you're saying, yeah, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. This is my decision, my health, etc." And the team is saying, we can't let you go out there. Well, personally, if that is, and again, if, if that is what's happening, um, it's I all guess... Speculation, all speculation, yeah, all speculation, yeah. all speculation, all speculation. So if that is what's happening... Um, you know, I, I, I really, the first thing I guess, Jeff, is I need to know what exactly the injury is. Is this a head injury? Is this a, an injury that is concussion related? Um, you know, uh, you know, what were his baseline scores? What are the doctors saying? Or, you know, is it another injury? Is it something else that they feel could get worse if he goes out there and they feel the series is still not out of control yet? Like we're in the series. It's only two to one. Uh, if they were to lose tonight, I would say, yes, that puts this series in a very delicate issue as 90% of the teams up 3-1 to one win. Uh, going back to Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, that would be bad. There is a rule, There is like a, a group of people that would say, well, you don't wait to get it to 3-1. to one. You get them in tonight and, and try to get this thing tied up. Bringing them in at 3-1, it, it, you know, maybe the, you know, the, the water's thrown out, the bath water with the baby kind of thing is gone, right? You, why would you do that? So, yeah, the injury that he has really does would help me to have a better opinion on that. Um, Not knowing the actual injury makes it a little bit harder. Um, But I I would say that it's very difficult for an organization to have a player of Nick Ehlers' talent and what he could do to help uh, a team. If they're not putting him in, um, then they have to be obviously very concerned with what he has. And although they know he wants to play, uh, they want to be uh, air on the side of caution and, and make sure that they have his best interest in mind. I, I don't know any player, and go back to Morgan Barron, I mean, how this kid could have easily taken a, a layup after uh, taking that cut in the face, yeah. uh, but came back and, and, you know, and Rick Bonus asking him, are you sure? Are you sure you're whatever? And, and, and kids like, yeah, I'm good to go. But if there's no way you can hurt yourself more and they got a cage over it, you, you tend to let it loose. But, if you're concerned about something getting worse, uh, you know, then yeah. then I think there's a little more delicate, uh, you know, conversation to have. But uh, you know, not being involved in the particulars, the important particulars of what's going on with Nicholas Ehlers, I really, you know, it's hard to make a mm-hmm. comment. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Morgan Barron. Uh, Arvin Holm gets called up from Manitoba where he wears the number 75. And I was I was saying last week after uh, Morgan Barron got Laurent Bossois' skate in his face and it was 75 stitches, if I've ever seen anyone, you know, have a reason to change their number. Barron wears 36, but if I've ever seen a reason to change your number, to remember the moment you became a cult hero in Winnipeg, it's that. You know, Morgan Barron, you know, change your number to 75 now. He's been... He's been impressive, and, and I think fans have, have really taken to Morgan Barron. But i got to tell you, man, Adam Lowry, with all due respect to Pierre-Luc Dubois, who I think has been excellent, Adam Lowry has been the guy you know, that's trying to will this team into win after win. Uh, there's no shifts off, all of it, all the cliches apply about playoff performers, etc. To me, Adam Lowry's been their best forward, hands down. What do you think? 
I, I think that Adam Lowry, and I mentioned this in game one, because I know there's been a lot of talk that, you know, the Jets don't have a captain. They really don't have anybody that they've, they've given it to. A lot of people think it should be Josh Morrissey, uh, you know, but I'm one of those people that believe that the, the captain of this team by his actions and what he does it, it, to me is, is Lowry. Uh, I, I, I see it in, his, mm. in the way the teammates look up to him. Um, I looked the way that Dylan jumped in for him because you know, Lowry has stepped up for every player on that team at some point and stood up for the whole team and against Minnesota uh, at the end of the season uh, in a real emotional game. Uh, you know, I, I think he's the guy that wears the Jets uh, logo, you know, you know, on his heart and he wants to be the best player he can be for the team. Not to say other guys aren't, but I just think he's that benefactor captain of the Winnipeg Jets. And I think it's really nice to see a player who's a bottom six guy in your lineup that's just one of those guys that comes out and does it right all the time when he comes out to play. Uh, his intentions and his moral compass is always in the right place. And it's nice to see a guy like that mm. have moments like this in the Stanley Cup playoffs where people actually are take notice of how important and integral he is a part to the Winnipeg Jets team. So scoring some goals and things like that, uh, uh, yeah, certainly. Chipping that big one in, you look at – uh, you know, uh, Hyman last night, when you're a guy that can chip in like that, it's huge. But he does so many other little things, blocking shots, penalty killing, uh, the physical play, um, you know, that he does every single ship. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I believe, you know, he is he's really one of the Jets that has stepped up in this series and has really played extremely well. Um, you know, one of the other guys that we don't talk a lot about is Dylan DeMello, who, who led the team in ice time yeah. uh, pretty much through the first two games. Plays a very quiet role, a very understated role, but does his job efficiently. Like, those are important people on your hockey team that don't get the cheerleading rah-rah-rahs that the big stars get, you know, but they're such integral pieces that you need in order to win. And uh, it's nice to see those guys uh, get some recognition. And, and again, don't take nothing away from Pierre-Luc Dubois, who has, who has been a force and has played really well. Yeah. Uh, but you know he's got to he's got to produce production is so important at this time of year, and it's like I said you know regarding Shifley going into Game Three, like I'm not coming out here saying Mark Shifley's not playing hard or not playing good, but Mark Shifley isn't producing and he's having trouble finding his rhythm in this series production wise and and getting good chances wise and being noticeable wise, uh, and uh, you know then he he gets the goal in Game in Game Three a big goal part of that comeback. But I still think there's more to come from Mark Shifley. And Rick Bonus is trying to find that by moving him around and, and seeing if he can't get him in a spot yeah. where he's going to feel more comfortable. Because on that wing with Dubois and Connor, um, you know, it was going good there for a while. But Rick Bonus did tell us before that that line, when he's tried it a number of occasions, <laughs> it didn't look very good. But it was going good, so he left it. So I, 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 you know, you know, so I think he's. He's going to move Shifley. I would imagine you'll see Shifley in a different spot there tonight. You know, um, in game one, Jack Eichel, uh, his first Stanley Cup playoff experience, um, looked kind of, well, I'm gonna, I'll just be blunt, looked out of sorts. And, you know, maybe, I don't want to say over his head. This is an elite-level player that we're talking about here. But just looked a little bit off. Or maybe he didn't know what to expect, what playoff hockey was going to be like. Uh, but games two and three... Um, Jack Eichel discovered how Jack Eichel plays in the playoffs, and he's been exceptional. What do you make of, of his first kick at the can here in the Stanley Cup playoffs? I think you're bang on right in game one. You know, a player has an opportunity to change the narrative on his own. He doesn't need anyone else to help him change the narrative. He can do it on his own simply by his effort. Uh, you know, his second and third efforts, his ability to go into dirty areas, finish checks. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I just think that a player has, even though you're not productive, and that's why I didn't want to say Mark Shifley was playing bad or he's not. He just, you need production, right? You're stars and you need guys to produce. For a guy like Eichel, who is predominantly, when you talk about him, you're thinking production. You need to see production. Yep. But what, what his teammates and what people that watch him also need to see is the effort, shift in and shift out, finishing his checks, taking hits to make plays. Um, you know, battling hard to get a second and third effort to win a draw, get a puck outside a blue line. And then people see that hard work and the narrative can change in game one. I think the nerves got the best of Jack Eichel. He may not admit that, 
But there were times on the ice where he did things that I was kind of like, whoa, that you've got to, there's got to be more there. There was one particular one where on a power play, and their power play was struggling, he was 10 or 15 steps inside the blue line and offside. And the puck transitioned at the red line. And because his effort was just kind of mediocre, they got caught trying. They couldn't go into the zone with the puck, and they had to wait. And I thought to myself, that's not good enough. You need to put your head down and get your backside out of that zone so this team can re-enter the zone. It seemed like he got caught up in his own emotions of game one. And I'll tell you what, if you've ever been a person that is very fortunate and blessed enough to play in your first playoff game in the National Hockey League, (laughs) it is not easy. It is not easy, let me tell you, with the crowd. And then you can't, and then dump the the expectations on Jack Eichel that he knows, you know, even though you're a, you're, you know, you're a star player, you know the expectations. So I think, and Bruce Cassidy said it, hey, let's give Laurent Brossois and Mark Stone and Jack Eichel a little bit of space yeah. here, okay? We had a guy who's had two back surgeries, been out for two and a half months. Yes, he was a minus three. Everyone's ripping off him. We have a guy who hasn't played a playoff game. He's coming <laughs> in, ripping off. And then we have a guy who had lost the yeah. game in 10 games and has been nails for us. And he loses game one, and all of a sudden it's like he goes, "Give them a chance." And you know what? Uh, this is what makes Bruce Cassidy such a such a great coach and, and a guy that people like playing for. Because what happens in game two? You know, Boisseau holds the fort in the first period while his team finds their legs. Uh, you know, Eichel scores yeah. that goal, and, and and everything takes off. And Mark Stone, as we know, <laughs> his parents in the stands, you know, scores a couple and three point yeah. night. So you got to know your team. But yeah, Jack Eichel has really put his footprint in this series now uh those two goals there in, in game three and uh and getting the overtime win he's able to enjoy those moments you know what i mean like if you lose that game in overtime yeah. you could have had four in that game and you still feel like a piece of crap right so you you, you get the win now he gets to enjoy it True. and and move forward and that's good for the vegas golden knights and it, it is going to be a tough one for for winnipeg but they got that crowd behind them that energized them that, you know, and I think that uh, I hope, I really do hope Winnipeg Winnipeg finds a way to win this game because I think this series deserves to go into six and possibly seven. It's been that good. Um, I I haven't seen a series that I've watched and I've watched a lot of them that has the physicality and the nastiness that this one has. Um, so, uh, certainly I, I hope Winnipeg gets it done tonight. Not that I just, it's a Canadian team. I'd love to see them move on. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Rick bonuses as well. I'm kind of caught in this one because I, I grew up with Bruce and uh, Rick was a coach <laughs> with mine in Boston. And, uh, and I have a, such a ton of respect for Rick as many people do in the, in the, in the national yeah. hockey league and around, uh, they're both fantastic people and, and very awesome people to work with in a series. They both talk to you. They articulate themselves. They're not out there just throwing you cliches and stuff. They really do give you uh, good solid stuff and let True. you know you know how they're thinking and then we do appreciate that as people from the outside looking in um i don't want to take too much of your t- uh, more of your time here you're you're always really generous with me here gary let me let me just ask you one final thing what do you expect tonight like th- th- this winnipeg crowd you know ha- hats off to the the fans in winnipeg from this corner they have you know consistently since you know the the atlanta thrashers moved to to winnipeg and they got their their nhl team back They've been loud. They've been creative. Uh, they've been entertaining. I mean, the the whiteouts are a thing of legend uh, in hockey. What do you expect tonight, Game Four, knowing full well that really Winnipeg cannot afford to lose this one? Yeah, and you're right. They can't afford to lose it. Um, I'll tell you. You know. You know. On the off days, right? All us, all us hockey guys, and we sit around and we grab dinner and stuff together, and we shoot the breeze. And it was funny. Like yesterday on yeah. the off day. Uh, you know, and chatting with some of the guys from the crew and, and, and some of the guys that we work with through this whole series and so knowledgeable about the game as well, right? So we, I think we, we all come to the agreement that, that Connor Hellebuck, regardless of how the Jets are playing, has to steal a game somewhere here. Um, game, one was, game one was a night off. He had 17 shots, two in the third period. His team was fantastic. And they allowed him yeah. to sit in his lawn chair. He only made two or three difficult saves. And that doesn't mean that you don't, you don't, hey, listen, this is a Vezina goalie. Okay. In, in game two, uh, you know, Vegas comes yeah. back uh, and, and finds a way to win. Uh, you know, he, you know, they get the win. Connor Hellebuck's not bad. He's not great. Uh, game three the other night, they fall behind four to one. The team roars back. 
uh, unfortunately, a tough break, and they get scored upon. Not blaming Connor Hellebuck. That's what I want to make very clear. But as a Vezina goalie, as the guy who is really one of the top-end players in the league at his position, you have to win a game here, and this is the one he has to win. And and if, if this team comes out sluggish, like Vegas did in game two and Boisson had 17 shots and only allowed the one goal, and then that turning point, the four-on-three power play, and a lot of people haven't talked about it. That four-on-three man advantage that Winnipeg kind of chili-dipped there, that spun the series a little bit. And where the Winnipeg Jets had four periods where they had outplayed the, Jet, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights consecutively and had a crazy amount of momentum, in a minute and 46 seconds, it spun, and the Vegas Golden Knights controlled the next four periods of this series. Now, I give Winnipeg the period three of game three. So now you've got five to four in favor of Winnipeg as far as periods one in my mind. The overtime is a toss-up. It's an unfortunate bounce. But momentum has clearly swung back in the favor of the Vegas Golden Knights. You know you are lost your best defenseman. If you're Connor Hellebuck, and I don't know Connor personally, but I know as a competitor and watching him over the years, he's sitting there going, regardless of what my team does tonight, i I got to pitch a win here. I got to make this thing happen. If they come out and play lights out and it's a fairly like game one, perfect. But if they don't, he will need to yeah. carry the bulk of this for them and get them through to the finish line and get this thing tied up. And I think that would go a long way. I know it's putting a lot of pressure on Connor Hellebuck, but I think he's up to it. And I think he's good for it. <laughs> I think he's good for it too. And I wouldn't say that if I didn't think he was. We, we've seen him do it before. That's the thing about Hellebuck. Like he's like when when Down he's dialed stretch, in, there are yeah. few that there. Yeah, I know there there are so few that are equals. Like when Connor Hellebuck is dialed in, it's it's Vesna Hellebuck. I'm I'm with you. Um, that, this has been great. Gary, Minnesota, the calls. he dives across and makes that stick. Oh, thing, I know. You know. Like like this is a guy that can do it, and that's why I'm putting. I would never put it on someone. And you know, you know, and say, oh, he's got to go do it. I think he can do it, and and I and 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 we're yeah. going to watch tonight and see if he does. Uh, we'll be tuned in. Sportsnet West, nine thirty Eastern. The Vegas Golden Knights facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. Gary Galley has been my guest. Gals, thanks as always, pal. You be good. Enjoy the we'll hey. enjoy the call tonight. My pleasure, Jeff. Enjoy the games, bud. Thanks, sir. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights, Winnipeg Jets, one of four on the board. Now, this is a blessing tonight. This is, I know the schedule is going to sort of wean off a little bit here. We're going to get down to two game nights, but uh, enjoy another four-game night. The Rangers and Devils, 7 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet 360. Meanwhile, a bottom of that hour, 7.30 Eastern on CBC. Sportsnet Ontario East and Pacific. You can watch the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, just talked to Gary Galley about the Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. That's been a really good series too, man. And hand it to Winnipeg with all the losses, all the injuries. They are scrapping. That is a really, really scrappy team. And, man, Adam Lowry's been fantastic. Uh, 9.30 Eastern there, Sportsnet West. Colorado Avalanche face off against the Seattle Kraken at 10 Eastern. Watch that on Sportsnet 360. Going to talk to Peter Baugh about the abs and the rhinoceros that is uh, that is Nathan McKinnon. You saw evidence of that on on Saturday. In the meantime, uh, Matt Marchese, our producer and fill-in host here, joining me for a for a, a quick little segment, taking us to the bottom of the hour, just based on the um, based on the question of the day, Maddie, which is, you know, what was your favorite moment from the weekend? Because from for me, maybe this might be the most symbolic. We'll see how the rest of the series plays out. But the Jack Campbell save on Victor Arvidsson. That may have been the play of the weekend for me. I'm sure I missed a bunch, but that's the one right off the top of my head. Well, what are people saying out there? And what do you think? Do you have one? So I do have one, and I'll, I'll actually link it with um, one that we got. So this one from Brad McDonald, and he says, Ryan O'Reilly's tying goal okay. and Morgan Riley's winning goal because somehow I didn't wake up my sleeping son. So... Mine is the exact <laughs> same thing because yeah. my dad and my mom were over. They came by for dinner. They wanted to see the little one. Yeah. And she goes to bed yeah. whenever my mom's my mom's saying, is this over? Is this? I said, they don't end in a tie in the playoffs, mom. You should know this by now. And my dad kind of half screamed on both goals. And then immediately after I hugged him, yeah. apologized for almost waking up my daughter. He's forgotten what it's like to be a new parent <laughs> um, since it's been a long yeah. time, but that was very good. But I think yeah. the, the big one, the big one for me, Jeff was the, uh, and we got this one as well. Um, this one from do not feed the octopus, uh, the McKinnon shift. It was incredible. Uh, the second goal. 
the yes. second of his two goals. We talked to Peter yeah. Ma about this at the bottom. Of the, that was spectacular. But that's the thing about that's the thing about Nathan McKinnon. Like it must be such a nice feeling to say, you know, you're sitting on the bench and you're saying to yourself, okay, this is what I'd like to do when I get out there. And then you have the ability to do it. Because rest assured, everybody on every single bench has an idea of what they want to do and what they want to happen. But there are so few, and Calgary seems to have a whole bunch of them, there are so few players that can think about doing something and then just go do it. And do you not get yeah. that feeling from Nathan McKinnon that he decides, like, hey, I'm going to have like you know two plus two here in the second period. He just goes and does it. Like To me, when you look at all the things that go into a hockey player, what does he not have? Like When you look at all the individual things that make up a hockey player, he's big, he's strong, uh, he's got a great shot, he has a motor that doesn't stop, he's a great leader, like all of it. I think it's, it's funny too, it's not really an insult, but maybe you can say he's too intense. I don't know. Is that a thing? Is that a thing around professional athletes? I know sometimes you want to like dial it down a little bit, maybe let people breathe, you know, let people enjoy a chuckle. Not everything has to be game seven. Doesn't have to be, you know, game seven as you're cutting a bagel after practice. I don't know. Am I really nitpicking things here? But I look at Nathan McKinnon and I say, he's one of those guys that can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, it seems. And, Saturday it seemed like pretty much the uh, the Rhino with the abs did whatever he wanted, Maddie. Well, and even on the first goal, like you talk about things that he has, like his speed is at, like whether it be you know oh, through the geez. neutral zone or just straight line speed is absolutely insane for a guy that is that big and that strong. And that goal was incredible. Yeah. The shift was incredible. I mean, listen. We talked about it, and I said it, you know, before the playoffs started. If there was a, you know, a, a race for, you know, the the non Connor McDavid MVP, then it would be Nathan McKinnon for me, and and that's I don't want to say it's not remotely close, yeah. but he's for me, he's got a pretty distant lead, like he's that good. So I thought he was uh, incredible. Here's here's another one, and and you talked about um, this okay. with you know as it pertains to to Jack Campbell and and his performance and the save on Arvidsson, this one from Kerry Kettle, and he says, Matthias yeah. Ekholm going straight to Jack Campbell after Hyman's OT winner shows you what kind of a teammate Ekholm is and how beloved the teammate Jack Campbell is. Speaking of Ekholm, what did you make of the uh, the Gabe Filardi play on Friday before the Trevor Moore overtime winner? And by the way, I'm endless. I, I, I still don't know why players do it. I know that it's an instinct, but you think by now you'd get this instinct out of your system. When there's a high stick or a puck over a glass, why do players stop what they're doing and point? Yep. Well, that's what McDavid because, did. And listen, there's, there's Connor McDavid pointing at what he thought. Like, that's Connor McDavid, the best player of the game. Stopping what he's doing and pointing. You would think that by now, everybody would have that beaten out of them because this happens all the way up in hockey. Like, is this something that, that there's, there's a, a real sort of logic block? Like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to keep playing. I'm not going to point at what I think is a high stick or a puck over glass because that's someone else's call. My job is to play, so I'm just going to play. I find <laughs> it endlessly amusing, specifically with the puck over glass, when it, when it happens and everybody points. Yes. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like no, nobody no, knows. No, no, no. no <laughs> You're the only one that saw that. Thanks for pointing that. Oh, is that where the puck went? We had no idea. Outside of the fact that everybody in the rink knew exactly what happened. But thank you for pointing that out. That's it just knocked over. I always. It knocked over uh, the guy in the 25th row's popcorn. But yeah, nobody knows how that happened. <laughs> It's a mystery. It'll remain a mystery. But thankfully, we have all these players to point at the puck, and uh, and 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 that's what happened. Anyhow, I I got um, I got one more. So quick that's one. that's that's a lot of fun. All right, go for it, man. The, and then we'll take a break. This one from Oilers fanatic, and it says Oilers fans collectively embracing Kevin Bieksa as one of their favorite analysts was one of my favorite ones that we got. Kevin had a great night. <laughs> Kevin, I'm telling you, man. 
Kevin and and Derek alone were so good. Like first of all, alone's a, an emerging star, and you saw it from the opening night when he did Game One of of Toronto Tampa, and he's just getting more and more comfortable. He is so fascinating to watch and listen to. Like, listen, Detroit's got a great coach, uh, but one day, if he ever wants, he's gonna be one of those guys that that networks clamor over while he's in between jobs. You know what I mean? Like. Okay, mm-hmm. he's not going to coach for a couple of months, and everyone falls all over them themselves to get him on their panel. That's Gabby. That's a I don't. I, Gabby's another one, right? Of course, yeah. He's he's like Gabby, like fall over yourself to get him. Um, he's excellent. That's a that's a really great pickup by us because he's he has been tremendous, and him and him and Bieksa had a night last night, eh, Maddie? Talk about that. They sure did. Whew. That was a good one for those two. Uh, the other thing is, too, um, is Sheldon Surrey the last player that we've seen on Edmonton that has that much of a bomb from the point? Like, have we just become that accustomed to, you know, top of the, uh, you know, uh, top of the power play is, is Tyson Berry and it's no shot threat and it's just distribute the puck? Boosh bomb, right? I love what Harden Ryan says, boosh bomb. I can hammer it flat out hammer it and we saw it again yesterday like we talk about you know moments and times where players take that next step in their career we're seeing this with evan bouchard right now from the uh, from the edmonton oilers it's great the, it's the fun, other guy it's fun to watch three points the other guy one big goal the other guy that i can think of would be oscar clefbaum not like maybe this, not though not like surrey but that was the not last like oiler that i remember to have a real bomb from the point maybe not like those guys but kind of in between there all right we'll uh on that we'll hit a break and see if we have more time for your feedback on the uh, the qod of your big moment of the weekend uh right now we'll pause we'll come back and get on the avalanche page i don't know how much more there is to say with peter baugh other than um nathan mckinnon miko rantanen and kel mccarr when they decide to end the game they end the game but we'll go elsewhere with uh, with Peter from The Athletic in a couple of moments. Avalanche and the Kraken Game 4 is later on tonight. Uh, that game is a 10 o'clock start. Watch it on Sportsnet 360. Peter Bond moments. Avalanche. McKinnon, the rhinoceros. Put a horn on his helmet. We're talking about him next. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Merrick Show carries on. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so as our buddy, uh, our good buddy John Davis reminds us, home team disadvantage. Road teams right now on an... 8-0 run. And the Avalanche hope that continues tonight. Game 4, Seattle Kraken uh, at home. Facing off against the Colorado Avalanche. He's pleased to be joined as always by Peter Baugh from The Athletic who covers, writes about, whether it's online or in book form as well, the Colorado Avalanche. Peter, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. How's Seattle? Oh, it's beautiful. I'm uh, I'm walking towards the arena now the space needle is looking very big and uh it's yeah it's great weather fun time i always love it out here it's uh I, you know I, we always think about places we like to be during the playoffs and for me there would have been no better place than seattle just to soak in the atmosphere of you know the first playoff game in seattle crack in history uh we know they love to put on a show spare no expense all of it what was it like? Like, take us back to Saturday in Seattle, and then Schwartz scores to to make it one nothing. The place comes unglued. It was, I mean, it was loud early in Seattle before you know Ranton and McKinnon, Kel McCarr had other ideas. Take us back to Saturday. Paint the picture for us. How was it? It was pretty cool. It was. Uh, I got to the rink probably two hours before the game, and there were already like huge crowds outside the arena. It filled in pretty quickly. The owner gave like a essentially a pregame pep talk for the crowd. It was, it was really, it was a special night. And yeah, like you said, when Schwartz scored, it was, it just kind of exploded. And you saw, I was watching when it happened, Schultz, who, who, who I guess fired off the point shot that Schwartz tipped, just like his reaction was really cool. He just like jumped up and was so excited and 
um, you could tell it was a really cool moment for the city. And I'll tell you one thing I, I, uh, I really took away from it all is that this city loves Maddie Beneers. Because when they um, – Oh, yeah. The Kraken tied it with that rush, and they had, like, the delayed goal announcement because it happened so fast. So they announced the first goal, and they were like, goal scorer, Jamie Alexiak, crowd goes crazy. But then when they announced the next goal, and they were like, goal scored by number 10, Matty Beneers, it erupted. Like, it was so loud. It was, it was cool to see. So it's definitely, a, I would say, maybe not a successful night on the ice for the Seattle Kraken, but definitely as a community and as a hockey town, it was a big a big night and a really cool atmosphere. But the the thing about it is, too, and I, w- I want to get on the Avalanche page here in a second. The thing about Seattle in that game on Saturday, and I know this in game one was the was the was the stunner, but still, like we look at uh, we look at Saturday's game, and it's not as if you know Seattle quit. Like they still yeah. like they would not go gentle, and like and this is like you're facing off against a team that has some of the most elite level players in the game that are seemingly doing whatever they want. See McKinnon, see Ranton, and see McCarr. Like they just decided, okay, that's enough of this, and we're gonna win this thing. But it wasn't as if Seattle said, you know what, you guys are too good for us. Good point. We'll we'll live to fight another day. Like they scrapped right till the very end, Peter. Yeah, I mean, this series is still, it's a 2-1 series. It's far from over. And I think Nathan McKinnon said after last game, he said this is the, the toughest first-round series he's been in. Like, it's in the, in the past few years when the Avs have been in the first round, they've been high in the conference standings. They're playing a Nashville team without, um, without UC Saros last year. The year before, it was kind of a disoriented Blues team in the shortened season that wasn't at its best. Like, it, this is a a different level of team than the Avalanche are used to. And the Avalanche are also more vulnerable maybe than they have been in the past few years. And so it's, it's led to a, yeah. I think a pretty interesting series and one that like, I think, I mean, I don't think Nathan McKinnon, he's, he's pretty blunt and honest in his interviews. Like I think he, he meant what he said of like, they're a really good team. They're a solid team. They won, had more than a hundred points this year. Like that's, that's, this isn't a pushover yeah. series. Uh, not by any stretch, and uh, Morgan Geeky returns uh, tonight for the uh, for the Seattle Kraken as well. Um, so Nathan McKinnon. Actually, you know what? Before we get to McKinnon, um, Valeri Nichushkin uh, has left the team for personal reasons. Uh, when you see that, it's nothing um, to pry about, but not you know not what happened or what's going on, but rather, do we expect to see him at all? Again, these playoffs, we've made a lot about Gabriel Landeskog, not available for the playoffs. Um, curious about Valeri Nachushkin as well. Anything new on the Nachushkin front? Um, I don't have, have anything new. Um, I, I think Jared Bednar kind of just said there's no timeline. It's more of an indefinite thing. So I, I don't, like you said, it's, it's, you got to be very careful, like kind of with how you go about reporting these things and, you don't want to speculate or anything, but I, it's, it's, uh, I would be shocked if he played tonight for sure. Um, and then I guess we'll probably have a little more of a sense in the coming weeks, but I, I don't think it's, it doesn't seem like he's going to be back in the immediate future. Um, so we know about Landis Gog. We'll see about Valeria Nachushkin. Still a lot of firepower here. Do they have, like we all know, like they, they've, you know, they, they, they've had to, like all other NHL teams that are successful, um, they've had to get rid of players because of salary cap ramifications. But do you think there's still enough there for the Avalanche to repeat? Uh, I'll say yes with a but. I think it's, it's very much a, last year's team was a, dominant team top to bottom their fourth line was Calum yeah. o'connor cogliano all playing at a high level they 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 were a really deep team at points they were scratching andre burakovsky who's a top six level guy um i think if they're gonna repeat this year it is going to be because nathan mckinnon mika randon and kale mccarr are just on an absolute different level from pretty much everyone else they play um and that's yeah. I, I won't rule that out from happening because we've seen this year those guys really carry the load. Um, especially McKinnon since the All Star break has just been a a force. And I think I what did you call him a, a rhinoceros? Um, 
on the, oh, yeah. the podcast. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's yeah. he's so good and he's he's playing at such a high level. So I think while last year was more of a a uh, statement of dominance from a team wide perspective, this year if the Avalanche are going to go on a run, it's going to be because the best players in the world carry them uh, to that point. You've seen a lot of great performances from um, uh, from Nathan McKinnon. Uh, you're there for for all of these. Uh, where does Saturday rank specifically? Saturday's second goal. When you think of all the great Nathan McKinnon moments that you've seen, where do you put Saturday's second of two? Well, it has to be pretty high up. I mean, just that whole shift. He was he was pretty crazy even before the the goal, even before he got the puck there. But the way he absorbs the contact from a, a Donato, I think it was. Um, and, and fires off just a perfect shot was, was pretty impressive. And you could see McKinnon, he'll let you know how he feels about a goal sometimes with his celebration. He doesn't celebrate every goal excitedly, but that one he did because I think he knew it was pretty, pretty yeah. special. And, um, and there's something cool. I asked about like silencing a crowd and how that feels. And he's like, it is always special to score on the road. Like you, you kind of, I think yeah. that's got to be almost as cool of a feeling as, making a crowd erupt as is making a crowd go silent. Um, so I, it's definitely not number one on his, his ranking of playoff goals because he has that, uh, that goal against St. Louis last year for, to complete the hat trick that looked like it was going to send the abs to the second round. Um, but it's, it's pretty high up there. What's um, kill McCarr and Bo Byram, your thoughts mm-hmm. on this pair. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. I, the abs are, are interesting because they're when they have a defensive pair, they'll often um, it, it's not a set in stone. Like Makar is still going to play a lot with Taves, um, Byron will still yeah. play with other guys. But I think it it makes sense from a number of levels. One, Bowen Byron is really good, and he rises to the occasion as we've seen every postseason game. Like he he's been so good. Ever since Gerard went out with that sternum injury last playoffs, he's been a, a legit top pair level defenseman, even if he wasn't playing on the top pair. Led the Stanley Cup final. He had more five-on-five five minutes in the Stanley Cup final than Victor Hedman um, and Cal McCarty and Devon Taves. So it, it's, it's, he's a really impressive player. And then they also really liked Devon Taves with Samuel Gerard. Uh, when McCarr was out at the end of the season, they played Gerard and McCarr, or they played Gerard and Chase together and found that Gerard's analytics took a, a big up to, had a big uptick. Um, they thought they moved the puck well together, obviously an offensively dynamic line with some defensive sturdiness from McCar- or from Taves there. Who's, who's about as reliable as they come. Um, and, and so I, I think it makes sense and it's had good results so far through, through the two games that they've, they've gone with that. And it's really for Bowen Byram. I really enjoy watching him in the playoffs because I think he, he he finds a way. He is not afraid of anything. He finds a way to raise his game when it's when it matters most. Yeah. You know the the thing about Byram to me, and, and we saw this in Pittsburgh, I suppose, with Crosby and Malkin. Whenever Crosby would be out, um, you know, out out injured, uh, Malkin would take over, and it was the beast. It was the rising of the Pittsburgh beast. And you know, whenever McCarr is out. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the blue line duties are handed to Bo Byram. <sighs> Listen, Mikhail Bacard is the best defenseman in the NHL. He's probably not going to win the Norris, but he's the best defenseman in the NHL. I'm not saying that he that Bo Byram is Kale McCarr, but man, sometimes if you if you if you if you squint uh, and and sort of fudge the number on the back, he kind of looks like him. Specifically when he when he's playing up high, you have a, a thought on that and the the future of Bo Byram here with the Avalanche. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, if assuming Bo and Byram has has good health, which for his sake, knock on wood, and we hope that that happens, um, he uh, yeah. he he has a really bright future in this league. There's some maybe some elements of his game that aren't quite as dynamic as McCarr because Kel McCarr's Kel McCarr, um, but I mean, yeah. his shot, it, 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 like like he doesn't have McCarr shot, for example, but he he can get he can create shooting lanes, put the puck on net. I mean, I think he has a dating back. He's the, he might be the only person to have scored in every game this series for the avalanche. He, uh, or to have a point in every game this series, he has a four game playoff point streak. If you include game six in the cup final last year, like he's, 
this is a guy who he also could have had, I remember in the, he's still waiting on his first playoff goal actually, but he's had, he could have had the overtime winner in game four ahead of the Kadri goal. He hit a crossbar and he could have had the game winning goal in game six against Tampa. He, uh, and he hit a post, I think. So he, this is a guy who's offensively minded, fearless in a way that, that does resemble McCarr. And obviously they can both really skate. So he's due, is uh, is what you're saying. Yeah. What uh, what, what do you ex- what what do you expect tonight? I mean, Saturday was so special. First playoff game, Seattle Climate Pledge Arena, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's passed now. Here we are, Monday night, Seattle, Colorado. What does it look like to you in your mind? Yeah, well, I think there'll still be a huge crowd. I think it'll still be in a very excited crowd. I mean, it's of course it's a two it's a two one series. It's still they can tie it up tonight. Um, it's an interesting thing this team has played better on the road all season last year in the playoffs they went nine and one on the road like there's something about being on the road that this team must feed off of whether it's the energy of the crowd whether it's kind of being able to just focus when they get home from or when they just go back to the hotel they can just focus it's the road has been a really beneficial thing for this team so far this year so i don't know how they will will play it feels like they've kind of found their game the first four periods um, of the series, they looked off. They didn't look like themselves. Now it feels like they're a little more connected. They're yeah. not. They're making their passes tape to tape. Like it's it's the little things are kind of clicking for them. So I would expect. I'm bad at predicting who will win, but I would expect the Avalanche will play well tonight. <laughs> Whether that results in a win, I yeah. don't know. But I I feel like they've kind of found something a little bit in the last couple games and kind of regain their swagger. They look like it, and they're being led by Nathan McKinnon, who looks like it game in and game out. Peter, always a delight catching up. Enjoy game four tonight between the uh, the Colorado Avalanche and the Seattle Kraken. We've got it on Sportsnet 360 starting at 10 o'clock Eastern. Peter, you're the goods. Thanks for stopping by, pal. Take care. Thanks so much. There he is, Peter Baugh from The Athletic, covers the uh, the Colorado Avalanche. And, yeah, that's the late one tonight on Sportsnet 360. Uh, the Avs and the Kraken, uh, Golden Knights and Jets. It's 9.30, Sportsnet West there. Uh, the Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay Lightning, 7.30. The puck will drop on CBC, Sportsnet Ontario, East and Pacific. Early game, 7 o'clock Eastern, the Battle of the Hudson. Uh, the Rangers facing off against the New Jersey Devils. Watch that one on Sportsnet 360. Uh, to the people who stopped by today, Peter Baugh, Gary Galley, Craig Simpson, Elliot Friedman, thank you. Uh, Danielle Goche for making this thing look decent. Uh, Lance Kennedy to making it sound decent. Uh, Matt Marchese responsible for everything else. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Enjoy the games tonight. So far, things have been great. Let's continue the trend here. Either way, we talk about it tomorrow, 22 hours from now. Thanks for joining me today. We'll talk to you tomorrow, 12 o'clock Eastern.